Our passage this morning is from Galatians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 4 to 6. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We come before you this morning, Father, thankful that although your law is magnificent, it left us hopeless, and that you, seeing our hopelessness, sent your Son to give us the opportunity to call you Father. We pray for Pastor Pat this morning as he continues the story of the hero that you sent. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the life it gives. Amen. Thank you, Jim. This morning, we are continuing the story of Scripture. We are noting the hero's work or the victory of God. I am taking this as a starting point in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. There are three things noted inside that text, which we have already considered as far as the person and period. And this morning, we will note the purpose. But the hero's role, the arrival of the hero, is not only to exist. It's not simply that he arrived, but that he acts. There is a very distinct reason as to why the hero exists, and he will fulfill the work he was sent to do. We've been looking at the storyline of the scripture. We know that the story's subject matter focuses around two ideas, the person and purpose of God. We know that early on in the story, the villain appears. We equally have noted that the hero is foretold in shadow and image and type and prophecy and promise. We then have seen in the gospels, the hero arrives. But in that arrival, he comes with a very distinct purpose. And therein lies the hero's work. We will also consider the hero's legacy in the next two Sundays. But this morning, our focus is on the hero's work. From the text of Scripture cited, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, we have already noted that there was indeed an appointed person. When Jesus Christ came, when the hero arrived, everything that had been foretold enabled those who were seeking for him to identify him as such. This is God's hero. This is the one, the chosen, the anointed. We also noted how there was a very distinct period in time in which the hero arrived. It was during the fullness of time. But this morning, I'd like us to consider the fact that when the person, the hero, the one, the anointed came, he came with a very distinct purpose. In the hero's arrival, in the absence of the hero's arrival and work, we will live and die in fear. Had God's hero not come, we would have lived and died in vain. It is only in the presence of the hero's arrival and work that we will live and die in hope. Everything in the story has prepared us for this moment in time. We have been talking about the Advent season. Advent are the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. But that's not the end of the story. We have the hero's arrival, but there is a very distinct work for which the hero came. And that is what we are noting this morning. And everything that we have been studying up to this point in time has prepared us for this moment. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when it spoke of a seed from the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. In chapter 3, verse 21 of the book of Genesis, where this 
Animal skin is used to cover up the shame, the fear, and the guilt of Adam and Eve. It is clear there will be an identifiable deliverer and deliverance. God has already written into his story the hero's identity and the hero's work. And we will explore the hero's work or the victory of God. We have already noted that Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was indeed an appointment. We have considered the thought contained in Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham was about to offer up Isaac. And Isaac asked the question, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham responded by saying in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. It was in this shadow that God stayed the hand of Abraham and provided in type a substitute for his son Isaac. But we know that the shadow was cast by a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We know that the type will find an anti-type and God the Father will not stay his hand. Nothing will keep the Father from crushing him, the Son. This is what Isaiah 53 verse 10 tells us. God has unsheathed his sword and he has cut the throat of Christ. His lamb, in order that sin would be destroyed, in order that his people would be delivered and his power, justice, and grace would be declared. It is for us this morning to consider the full import of this season. Jesus Christ has come, but he came with a distinct purpose. And it is our desire to explore the magnitude of what God did in the sending of his son, his only begotten son. The seed of the woman, the son of God, was sent at an exact moment in time with a very distinct and defined purpose. We have recalled many times Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 3.21, how God not only foretold, but also imaged the hero's character and mission. Remember how in this one verse, Genesis 3.21, five ideas were noted. We initially noted that there was an established limitation as to what man can and cannot do. What Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden was to cover their shame, to cover their fear, to cover their guilt. But what they attempted to do had very distinct limitations. Man's response to his shame, to his guilt, and to his fear is woefully inadequate. Only God, only God can undo what was done. We also noted from Genesis 3.21 that there is the introduction of an innocent victim. The animal from which the skin was taken did nothing to deserve death. The third thing we noted from Genesis 3.21, there was the shedding of blood. When the animal was offered in sacrifice, its blood was shed. From the beginning, God's pattern was established. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Fourthly, there is the idea of substitution. The innocent animal sacrificed took the place of the guilty party. Adam and Eve were the ones deserving death, but their place was taken by another. And then finally, there is an acceptable offering that satisfied the immediate demands of the king against his rebellious subjects. God accepted the blood sacrifice of the innocent offering in order that the sin of Adam and Eve could be forgiven. These five things were noted from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. But those five things were a type, a shadow, a figuring, a promise of something that was much fuller, 
far completer than what happened in Genesis 3.21. We noted how these five elements help us understand the person and work of the future hero. First, we've noted that the hero will be capable of doing something that the natural man cannot. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and following. Notice it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Secondly, the hero will be blameless of the sentence against him. We see this from 1 Peter chapter 1. The hero will be blameless of the sentence against him. Listen carefully to the following three statements taken from Matthew's gospel. As our Lord was being crucified, Judas made the statement in verse 4 of Matthew 27. He says to those Pharisees who were standing around him, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that to yourself. Matthew 27, verse 22. Pilate said to the audience, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. Verse 23. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? And then Matthew 27, verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Just as so also, the hero will be blameless of the sentence against him. Our Lord Jesus Christ offered up himself in our behalf. He was blameless of the charges raised, and yet he took our place. The third thing we note from the type and now its fulfillment in the hero is that the hero will offer up his life and shed his blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The hero has offered up himself, his life, his blood, in order that we might be forgiven. The hero's sacrifice will replace the shame, the guilt, and the fear of the deserving party. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf in order that for this purpose, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our place. And his offering, his sacrifice, removed my shame, my fear, my guilt. And then finally, what the hero does will satisfy the eternal demand for justice by the offended party. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, in order that he might make propitiation for the sins of the people, that he might placate, that he might appease, that he might satisfy God's wrath against me. So what we saw in type in Genesis 3.21 is now fulfilled completely in the anti-type, in the fulfiller of the type, Jesus Christ. This is the work of the hero. It is for this reason we have the following statements from John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. What this all entails is openly and clearly noted throughout the New Testament. Everything that we have seen in type, everything that we have seen in shadow, everything that we have seen imaged, everything that we have seen prophesied and promised comes to its fulfillment in Christ. And it's not just his arrival that answers to our fear and our shame and our guilt, but it is his purpose, his act, his work. And it is in his work that the Father's wrath against us has been completely satisfied. It is in his person and work that you and I as his people experience forgiveness and that we now stand before the Father without shame, without fear, without guilt. And it is all because of him. There are three things, however, this morning, and all that was introduction. There are three things, however, this morning that I'd like us to know concerning the hero's work. When the hero acted, this is what he did. The first thing that we will note as a consequence of the hero's work is that the hero's work destroys the works of the devil. Notice the language of Acts 26, verse 18. It says that when the hero arrives and when the hero works... He will open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Notice the language that the scripture uses to describe the hero's work. In order that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that the shame and the fear and the guilt that we now experience will be completely and forever removed. And we will receive an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me, in Christ. There are three purposes mentioned in this one verse. To open, to turn, to receive. The unbelieving are under the authority and rule of Satan. I think we sometimes forget these truths. But the unbelieving are under the authority and rule of Satan. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ that breaks this stronghold over us and places us as his people under the authority and rule of his grace. Listen to the language of Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He has completely and utterly destroyed the works of the devil. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Having triumphed over them through him. Do you hear what the text is saying? In the cross of Christ, God showed his power openly without aid or help of angels. 
On the cross, the triumph was won. Every story that you and I encounter today finds its primary source in the biblical story. In this story, God stands triumphant over his defeated foe. And he beats his chest and he roars and trumpets his conquest. And he he declares openly and publicly that he has won. He has completely and utterly destroyed the works of the devil. I'm a superhero kind of guy. This is Tarzan standing over the lifeless body of his slain enemy. With foot on foe, he raises his voice, he beats his chest, and he openly declares his conquest. He roars at the cross. It is Aslan rising from the dead and roaring. And in those triumphant moments, we get goosebumps, don't we? We're like, yeah! And God stands over his defeated foe and he goes, and the world takes note and the world trembles. That's what he did. That's what he does. All of these things that cause in us goosebumps are shadows. They're mere shadows of something greater. Jesus Christ at the cross stands over the conquered body of his defeated foe and he roars. It is finished. And forever the decision is made and final. Consider Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, and that through death he might render powerless, render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The hero's work completely destroys the works of the devil. First John 3, 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. We celebrate Christmas, but it veils a deeper truth. And that is the reason why the Savior came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And this he has done triumphantly. He has roared forth his conquest. And you and I, as his people, are free. His great captain has subdued all his enemies. And we should not allow them again to set up their dark empire over our souls. We are no longer under the authority or rule of sin. Satan has no claim on me. He has no claim on us. He is a defeated foe. The second purpose for the sun coming, the second purpose that proves a consequence of the hero's work is that he delivers his people from sin and its consequences. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 read as follows, Grace to you. And peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave, who gave himself for our sins, the hero's work, 
so that for this purpose, he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Galatians 4, we've read this text multiple times, but again, let's read it with a a new perspective. Notice how it reads in verse 3. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, his hero, born of a woman, born under the law, so that for this purpose he might redeem those who were under the law, in order that for this purpose we might receive the adoption as sons. This is what the hero accomplished in his person and work. He utterly destroyed the works of the devil and he has delivered us from sin and its consequences. This deliverance encompasses three ideas. It is a deliverance that encompasses the penalty of sin. We sometimes fail to live in light of this truth. But I am no longer under the authority and dominion of sin. Sin has no right over me. Even when I sin, I am not under its power. I am not under its rule. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. When I stand before God, there is no sin for which I shall give an account. That has been met fully by the hero's work. But not only am I delivered from the penalty of sin, I am delivered from the power of sin. This does not mean that I am sinless. But it does mean that I sin less. The authority, the rule, the power of sin against me has been broken by the hero's work. Thirdly, it is a deliverance that encompasses the presence of sin. There is coming a day. (laughs) There is coming a day when the yapping voice of temptation shall be once and for all silenced. And I will no longer have in me fallen flesh. But this is what the hero's work does. It delivers me from sin and its consequences. I do not expect either of us to fully grasp the magnitude of our deliverance from sin's penalty, power, and presence. I realize it is something that we are always looking through a mirror dimly. We don't fully comprehend the magnitude of what Christ did when he died on the cross and the consequences of that action in our behalf. I realize that we are still looking through a mirror dimly. But I do expect us to be humbled by and rejoice in what we only know in part. May God protect us from tiring of this truth. But in his arrival, in his work, We are redeemed from our sin debt. Hallelujah. We are declared not guilty of the crimes against us. The charges brought against us are all true. But because of the cross, we are not guilty. We are welcomed into a house from which we had been exiled. We are in communion where once only animosity existed. We are always right where once we were only wrong. We are cleansed from a state of defilement. We are freed from all past and present bondage. In the hero's work, the victory of God secured for himself, his people once and forevermore. 
This is what we have because of him. The hero has come and he has conquered. He has destroyed the works of the devil and he has delivered us from our sin. There is, however, a third reason that I'd like us to consider. Not only has he in his work destroyed the works of the devil and delivered his people from their sin and its consequences, but he has openly declared his power, his justice, and his glory. This is what he has done. In the coming of God's only begotten Son and the work of his cross, he concretely establishes his power over evil, his rightness in what he does, and the superabundant outworking of his grace. For where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This is what his arrival entails. When he came, he had a very distinct reason for coming. In his coming, he would destroy the works of the devil. In his coming, he would deliver his people from their sin. And in his coming, he would declare his power, his justice, and his grace. This is what you and I, as his people, celebrate. What does this mean? Let us read Revelation 5 in its entirety. We've not turned to the passages this morning, but let's take the time now to flip to Revelation chapter 5 and let us read this passage in its entirety. Revelation chapter 5, it's preceded by chapter 4. In chapter 4, we have statements made concerning the one who sits on the throne. Now, notice how this text reads. And let us read it in light of the storyline. Let us read it in light of the hero's arrival and his work. Let us read it realizing that in this work, he has destroyed completely the devil's work. He has delivered us fully from sin. And now he declares openly his power, his justice, and his grace. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? The question is being asked. Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seal? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one was worthy. Then John began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look upon it. Now notice the contrast. No one and nothing created could do what needed to be done. And now the arrival of God's hero. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, consider all that we have looked at of the prophecy and promise, the figuring, the foretelling, the shadow, the type. Think of all that we have looked at. And now notice the language that the elder employs. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. He has prevailed. So as to open the book and its seven seals, 
He has destroyed the works of the devil. He has placed his foot on his defeated foe. He has beat his chest and raised his voice in triumph, saying, It is finished. I am worthy. And I saw, verse 6, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, the one who alone was worthy. When he had taken the book, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. You have prevailed. And in your person, in your work, you have purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands... And they were all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In that work, He declares His power, His justice, His grace. And every, every, (laughs) every created thing Everything outside of God, everything that is not God, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. Just making sure we didn't miss anything. I heard saying everything to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, 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 Amen. Oh, do we have to go to church again? Didn't we just go last week? What are we going to do in heaven? We are going to say to the Lamb, You are worthy. And all of heaven, in response to that proclamation, will say amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We will not have to worry one bit as to what we will do when we get to heaven. We will worship. Do we bow? Do we genuflect? What you will do? What I will do is simply fall on my face and I will worship him who alone is worthy. God has written into the story a hero. That hero was foretold and imaged. In time, in the perfect time, he was manifested. 
in the flesh. And all who were looking found him. But it was not simply his arrival that saved us from our shame, our fear, and our guilt. It was both his person and his work. But in that work, every obstacle placed before him, he conquered. Everything we have seen in shadow is now openly displayed. Oh, friend, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that our Lord is king. God's hero is here. It is not simply a story that happened 2,000 years ago and we continue to retell. It is something that you and I, as his people, are living in right now. God has won. The victory is secure. And we are living in the glow, in the aftermath of his finished work. The hero has come. And he has completely destroyed the works of the devil. He has fully delivered us from our sin and its consequences. And he has openly declared his power, his justice, and his grace. Our God reigns. Today, are you and I living in the afterglow of his victory? In the afterglow, just the, the warmth of what has been done. You and I, in him, because of him, are victors. We are conquerors. Do we know the superabounding grace of God? Do we see it in the cross? Have we tasted his power in our deliverance from sin? Have we thanked him for the rightness of his actions? He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We have lived intrinsically, inherently, with shame, with fear, and with guilt. And we have tried in every way imaginable to cover it up. But we have failed miserably. But God sent his son to be our savior, our hero, who would answer in full our shame, our fear, and our guilt. Have we as his people thanked him for the rightness of his actions. It is with joy that we celebrate his arrival. And yet may all of our joy have a note of somber reflection. For it is only in his death, a death that is voluntary and effectual, that you and I as his people have life. And the life that he has given to us is an abundant life. May we live in light of that. And may we never tire of telling the story. Let us pray. Our Father, as we consider this story, as we consider the hero and his work, uh, my prayer is and has been that we would feel the weight of it, that I would feel the weight of it, that I would taste and see just how good you are in the work you have done, that the devil has no authority over me, that sin's power over me has been broken. I have been delivered from it. And in the cross, in this person, in this hero, you have openly declared your power, your justice, and your grace. Father, I do pray for any inside the auditorium who do not know you. 
I pray that today they would come to embrace your hero, that they would lay aside their efforts of covering their shame, their fear, and their guilt, and they would accept fully what you have done on their behalf. Father, for us as your people, continue to create within us a passion for you cause this passion to burn hot. Continue to knit our hearts around Christ. I pray this for the sake of his name. Amen.